What's up, everybody? I'm glad you chose to join me today as we continue our journey through Revelation. We have so much to cover regarding Armageddon and all the details that surround it. This final battle is not a single moment where Jesus returns on the Mount of Olives and destroys the armies of the Antichrist and poof, that's it. He does do that, but there's so much more happening over the days and weeks that encompass this final battle and the lead up to it and its end. There are a series of events leading to that final moment when the Antichrist and his armies are confronted head on by Jesus and subsequently meet their end. So let's jump into those details that surround the famous battle of Armageddon. But in order to do that, we must once again visit several of the prophets to get those details. John doesn't write about these details in, you know, in to any extent because they have already been given by the prophets of the Old Testament. So we will look at the details John gives in chapter 19 regarding the return of Christ uh, with us, with the church, uh, that of course come with him. And we'll couple that with the details that we get from some of the prophets to give us a more complete picture. Okay, guys, I will say there is a lot to cover, and I will have to shorten and summarize some of it to keep it down to a manageable time frame. So in our last episode, we are introduced briefly into the battle uh, or attack that takes place at Petra, and you know where God has been protecting the remnant of Israel, and how Jesus tramples that army when he returns. We also look at how the Antichrist... We looked at how the Antichrist and the majority of his army laid siege to Jerusalem. Up to this point, God has supernaturally protected them. We saw the horses confused and struck with blindness and the rider struck with madness. This slows down the armies and their attack, but it doesn't stop them. It is merely setting the stage, allowing the Jews to see God's hand at work defending them. But it is the setup, you know, it is, you know, the setup. So when God really puts the pressure on them, talking about the Jewish people that are in Jerusalem and around it, when he really puts the pressure on them, they will look to him who saves. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the point of all this. The nation of Israel must cry out to their Savior and put their faith in him. Even Jesus says that he won't return and rescue them until they call on him, putting their faith in him. Luke 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate, and I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The nation of Israel collectively and individually must call upon the Lord and put their faith in him and he will save them. It will make, you know, it, this will all make sense as we go through the scriptures. But Daniel 9:24, which we've talked about before in the with the start of the age of the Gentiles, that the 70 the 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. In order for Israel to make atonement complete and usher in everlasting righteousness, they must put their faith in Jesus. And that is exactly what God leads them to do. It takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of pushing them and putting pressure on them, as the scriptures say, but that is exactly what he leads them to do, and that's that's what happens. 
God told the nation of Israel through Moses that when they entered the covenant with him, that they would be bound to it throughout the generations, held to it. And it stands till you know today for those who have not put their faith in Jesus. They are bound to the old covenant. The, the whole nation, you know, God said the whole nation must keep his law or there would be severe consequences. Moses told them that. We, we, we have seen those consequences throughout history, but the con- those consequences come to a head during the tribulation. Um, you know, however, Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. He did what they could not do, what no one could do. That is, he kept God's law perfectly. Jesus became the loophole, the escape clause, you know, from the law, putting faith in Jesus frees man and it frees the Jews. When 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 a Jew turns to, to Jesus, it frees them from the consequences and the weight of the law. Through Christ, they would not have been, you know, they would not have to have been held to the law, but would operate under grace. But they rejected him. Also, that is why the remnant is protected from the suffering and consequences, you know, of of the judgments and everything that comes in the tribulation period at the end, because they're under grace. They're protected by, by Jesus. He fights for them. The Jews will be held to the law until they put their faith in Jesus, at which time they will be released from it and will no longer be held under the weight of the law or the, or the old covenant. So, we are just so we're clear they were never going to be able to keep that law perfectly anyway especially as a whole nation it was all by design to push them and man in general to an understanding of their need for a savior jesus was and is the only one who could keep and fulfill god's law you know he's the only one that could keep it perfectly the only one that could completely fulfill god's law Everything by design was meant to point to a need for a Savior. We can never be good enough. Only faith in Jesus can lift the weight of sin and the burden of the law. Romans eleven twenty six through 27 says, In this way Israel as a whole will be saved. As Scripture says, the Savior will come from Zion, talking about heaven. He will remove godlessness from Jacob, talking about the nation of Israel. My promise to them will be fulfilled when I take away their sins. That right there indicates, first and foremost, that in that time, in those last days, to take away their sins means that they turn to Him and put their faith in Him, and they are freed from their sin because they are now believers in Yeshua. All of Israel that remains will be saved and will come to faith. All that Jesus is waiting for is for the Jews that remain in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem at this time to call out to him and put their faith in him and the end will come after that. Now let's pick up with the siege in Jerusalem. Zechariah 14.2 says, For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle and and the city will be captured. The houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled, you know, or cut off. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. The Jews that take refuge and the people that take refuge in the city uh, in Jerusalem at this time have, you know, the Jews particularly have not put their faith in Jesus yet. So God allows the enemy to break through the walls or scale them or however they get in and take over half the city. So they break through and they get into the city. You know, more will die, women will be assaulted, and half the city 
at least uh, those in that half of the city will be exiled or cut off, probably killed. Um, that would be most likely. The other half will, um, or those who escape into the other half of the city, will God will protect them. And this truly shows the stubbornness of man's heart. Uh, and at the same time, the abundance of God's relentless grace. Zechariah 12, 8 through 9 says that in that day, even the weakest will be like David. They will be empowered like David, like David was with Goliath. And they will resist the enemies, uh, uh, resist the armies of the Antichrist. And God will set out to destroy the nations that come against Jerusalem. Now, look at what Zechariah tells us happens next. This is beautiful and absolutely amazing. Zechariah 12.10 says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, which is just referring to like the ruling class and, and all the other Jews you know, that are in Jerusalem. But he says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, they, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a, grieves for a firstborn. The city is slowly being taken. And now that the, in, the armies uh, are inside the walls, the realization of their doom is ever present. In that moment, they cry out to God. They call on his name to save them. As I mentioned in the previous episode regarding them, you know, being falling face down to the ground and calling out to God to save them. You know, finally they turn to him. And in this moment, God pours out a spirit of grace that allows them to see that Jesus, that the Jesus, their ancestors crucified was in fact their savior. They're fir the firstborn of Israel. In this moment, they weep bitterly, realizing their sin and the error of their ways. You know, now they see him for who he, he has always been. And they put their faith in him, individually and collectively. The same way anyone comes to faith in Jesus, which is through the leading of the Holy Spirit, is in the same way that they, in, in those last days, in that final battle, when death seems to be right in front of them, they will find faith in him. They will come to him in faith because the spirit will be poured out over them and the spirit will make them see that Jesus is the Messiah and they will trust in him. Is that not just so powerful? There is so much scripture on this, but I will move on as I think you get the point here. Also check out Psalm 79 and 80 as it refers to Israel. It's a great picture of what we're talking about. But now let's take a look at Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. It says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge that the Lord... You know, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him as surely as the sun rises. He will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. The reference to rain is a picture of God's grace being poured out on them through the spirit. Also, Hosea tells us that the siege will last two days. 
But on the third day, Jesus will come and destroy the enemy and restore his people, and they will live in his presence. Sometimes it feels like God waits till the last minute, but it's always for a reason. He's never late. He's never early. He's always right on time. And I love how it is on the third day that Jesus shows up to save them and conquer the enemy. Now, let's jump back to Revelation 19 to bring in what John writes about the series of events. Revelation 19, 11, and we'll pick up there. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and in and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him that no one knows but he, but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus rides a white horse, you know, which you know, symbolizes rule, that he's the ruler. Like the Antichrist was seen at the beginning of Revelation riding a white horse, and you know, he came to, to rule the world during the tribulation period. But the Antichrist is merely mimicking the real Christ. He is the false Christ, the false ruler. But now the true Messiah comes. John says Jesus comes to judge and wage war, and boy does he. John's description of him is is one like we saw at the beginning of Revelation with the fiery eyes and all. But he has many crowns on his head to symbolize that he is not just a king. He is the king of kings. Also, it is really cool that John says there is a name written on him that only Jesus himself knows. So when we get to the millennial kingdom, we won't really, we won't call him by that name. You know, we, we will call him by whatever this name is that no one knows yet, but it won't be Jesus or Yeshua. It'll be a new name. That's so cool. Now, verse 13 is very important to remember as we get to the next episode John says Jesus' robe is dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. As we mentioned in the previous episode, Jesus will trample the enemies that are attacking Petra uh, and his robe will be covered in blood after he destroys them. That's important as we get to tomorrow's episode. Also, he is the word of God. He has the authority of God. And with his word, the sword that comes out of his mouth, like John says, he will destroy the enemies of God. John, John reminds us that we will be with him riding white horses, you know, which could be symbolic of the fact that we get to reign with Christ um, as well. But nonetheless, we'll be wearing white linen. That's how we know that it's that it's us, the description of the army that comes being dressed in uh, fine linen, white and clean. That, of course, due to the earlier description, we know that's us the or the church. We are described as an army, but we will not be doing the fighting. John goes on to say that he will rule them with an iron scepter and tread the wine press of the fury of God's wrath. This is directly connected to the earlier episodes uh, way back in Revelation. We were talking about uh, the wine press of God's wrath and how the blood will flow for 200 miles. 
you know, and how it's all the way up to the bridle, like it's it's high and deep and it flows for 200 miles. So the details to that event and, and the battle at Petra causing the robe of Jesus to be covered in blood will come in the next episode. You know, join me tomorrow as we look at the final destruction of the enemy and his armies. I have given you an, a brief overview and tomorrow we will look at in detail at Jesus descending first to Petra and saving the remnant that is there and leading them out, bringing them with him as he comes to stand on the Mount of Olives where we will see the Mount split, making a way for his people to safely escape, the ones who are in the city and around it, for them to safely escape. Once they escape, Jesus will confront the Antichrist and his armies and bring an end to the unholy trinity and to the rule of sin. The events and details surrounding saving those at Petra and those in and around Jerusalem, uh, man, they're just, they're epic to say the least. So join me tomorrow as we finish up the battle of Armageddon and we see the punishment um, that's given out to the unholy trinity and we set the stage to move forward toward the millennial kingdom. Thank you God for everything. I know that we are not always grateful, but when I study your word, I see how Israel was not grateful for what you were doing. They could not see your hand of grace, but you are relentless and will bring them to a place in the in that last day where they will turn to you and find salvation. The things they will have to go through and endure will be painful and intense, but in the end, you show them grace and pour out your spirit, leading them to faith in Yeshua. What a story of relentless love, a love that pursues your people to the very end and overtakes them. In the end, love wins and you are glorified. What a mighty God we serve. God, I am grateful that your, that your love pursued us and led us to faith in Jesus. I'm honored to serve a God who doesn't give up on his people. To the very end, you are true to your word. I long for the day when the tree is made whole and the Jew and the Gentile are one in Messiah. Praise your name, Lord. I am truly in awe of you, amazed at the wonder of it all. Great is the name of the Lord. Amen. <music>